0: just in at the Paratopia News Desk. Sunday, December 19th, 2010 will go down in history as the day that one Dr. David Jacobs, Associate Professor of History at Temple University, set an all-new world's record for fastest time talking out of both sides of one's mouth. Dr. Jacobs performed this feat on none other than Coast to Coast AM with host George Knapp. Let's have a listen.
1: David Jacobs, I appreciate you talking to us about this. I I don't want to lose our audience because this is a kind of a complicated thing and we're just grabbing it in bits and pieces here. So I have one more specific question uh, regarding an allegation that she's made, and it's a pretty serious one. And Basically, it's that while she is under hypnosis, you plant this idea in her head, and the intention is that you are going to sort of get these aliens or hybrids off your own trail, sort of as a protection for you that's not good for her. What do you say to that?
2: Well, in a way,
1: it's it's totally untrue, and in a way, it's true.
0: Five seconds, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, five seconds is all it took Dr. David M. Jacobs to speak out of both sides of his mouth, thus shattering all records set by politicians and criminals alike. Let's listen to it again.
2: Well, in a way, it's it's totally untrue and in a way it's true and again well in a way it's it's totally untrue and in a way it's true let's listen to it one more time well in a way it's it's totally untrue and in a way it's true and one more again well in a way it's it's totally untrue and in a way it's true
0: we here at the Peritopia News Station predicted would be many, many years before this record of five whole seconds talking out of one side of one mouth and the other side of the same mouth is smashed. So congratulations, Dr. David M. Jacobs, Associate Professor of History at Temple University, and happy holidays!
3: The weather outside is frightful, take it, Jeff.
1: But the fire's so delightful
3: <laughs> peritopia It's that time of year, the time when we superfluously and at the last minute slap together a year in review. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, that's pretty much it
3: um, and other things because I think last episode you said we should turn some bit of that after chat into its own episode so maybe we'll do that tonight too who knows who knows what the night will bring jeff how do you want to how do you want to handle this should we do like a a list of things because i don't think uh, really too much happened this year (laughs) (laughs) you you don't (laughs) i think a few big things happened wow do you think even 10 things happened uh if you've got I him, know, man, font You you control this bad boy. I, I yield well, the floor. I well, no, this will be like a I, I surprise think... to me. This will be like Christmas for me. I don't know what this <laughs> could be. Uh,
1: give me presents. Well, I mean I think um Well number I mean I think coming
3: in at number ten.
1: I, I think before no, I think before we even launch into that, I think we have to uh uh I think we have to thank uh, all of our subscribers uh and and listeners for supporting us uh because this is the year that, that Paratopia Began raping you, and uh, (laughs) I I think that uh, I think that we should say thanks for the matching uh, lime green Lamborghinis that we went out and purchased this weekend. Yes. Uh, Thank you, Paratopia listeners. We really appreciate it. With the slick new ride, we should be able to get any chicks we want at this point. (laughs) Including Uh, your. No, in all in all seriousness, uh, I mean we. Jeremy and I were, uh, well, we we kind of went trepidatiously into premium content, and, and I wasn't exactly sure how well it would go over. And it's, um, uh, and you guys have been great to us uh, throughout. I guess I, I don't know what our this is our third month we're going into or coming out of. Sure. Uh, and and the subscriptions continue to grow, which is great. And uh, and and all you guys, we really can't thank you enough for your help in supporting the show and um and all of that. I mean it, it's it's been great and uh and it's it's very much appreciated. I'm sure Jeremy feels the same way.
3: What was the rape part? <sighs> <Shh. laughs>
1: just just let it happen. <laughs> um
3: yeah, no, I I do um feel the same um trying to think if I have anything to add to that just keep it coming. No, I I don't know. Uh <laughs> Yeah, I mean, thanks not just for that, but for the the few of you who I've met in person, thanks for being really cool and um I'm still getting requests now to go to like Streber's old neck of the woods and go camping and stuff like that. So I think it's kind of cool that people want to like hang out.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's all that, you know, I- it's not easy to do a podcast for as long as we did and then just turn around and say, okay, we're, we're going to do this in a premium format. And, and to have people stick with you, I mean, it it just goes to show you that the people do care enough about this stuff to support it. I don't think there's anything for you and I to do except to deliver, you know, the best guest and content and discussion that we can and, and keep going the way Peritopia has since pretty much day one, which is to uh try and make you guys laugh a little bit because there's far too much serious shit going on in this field. And uh and then also address the problems and address the phenomena, which is really what we'd like to do most is talk about the phenomenon above anything else. So, you know, for my money, I I look around and um uh, I'm thankful that we've had the success that we have because I know there's been a lot of them that have gone to premium and then just don't doesn't work, you know. So I think we owe a great deal to our listeners for for showing that kind of support and uh and we're going to keep giving you more and more as time goes on as we uh as we build the Paratopia fund to do big projects. That's that's what's going to be coming this year. So I uh I hope you guys hang out. Yes
3: and I I did a little movie that hopefully will be in the bonus content section.
1: Quiet some, down at
3: some point.
1: Quiet down, you.
3: Perhaps by year's end.
1: Uh, I, I'll do my best. Yes. Somebody email Jeremy and explain to him uh, that you can't, uh, or you you could have a hard time streaming a very large file online. Um. No, I, it, it, that that is going to go up this week, actually. So you'll have it by the weekend. Woohoo, USA!
3: Uh, I also want to say that. I came to a little epiphany about Paranormal Radio as I listened to uh, David Jacobs on Coast to Coast with George Knapp over the weekend. Oh, my God. He was on Sunday night. And, um, (laughs) you know, if ever there were a time to support Paratopia, I mean, it really – this is it, you know, like because not only do we do the deeper stuff and the funny stuff, but I think we're probably the only entity out there – I don't know if it's fearless enough or just – That because we're not part of some system, (laughs) that we can, maybe because we only answer to the listeners, right? Right. Um, That we can take on things like David Jacobs, you know, that we can investigate these things and that we can um, not have to cater to the sacred cows of the field and just present to you what we see as the facts and the truth. Yeah. And that was really driven home that that doesn't happen much. And we know this, like right? Like, we've we've complained about this, you know, podcasts and radio shows being entertainment and all that. But I guess it dawned on me in this way, listening to the interview, that for all the conspiracy stuff out there about the media being controlled in terms of politics and all of that, I mean, all of this stuff is the type of material that gets covered on Coast to Coast and other podcasts and things of this nature and i i think what's missing from that is the fact that these shows are also censoring hmm. or not
1: censoring or ju- or just trying to really cater to the entertainment factor
3: well but that's the censoring that that it's not even important enough to them you know right like right. they're it, not
1: tailoring it to that
3: yeah because the jacobs thing it was prefaced with uh you know there's a lot of backstabbing and ufology and blah 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 so maybe that's where this comes from we don't know now let's spend an hour asking david jacobs about his findings on hybrids you know which is a, a wasted hour you know because really all you need to do is a- ask him about the charges <laughs> you know and then and then we'll deal with whether or not there's even a hybrid theory to talk about after the fact right um but that's not the way the show's set up so it's an hour of listening to him spew his bullshit research um, and then an hour of him lying, and yes, he was lying about a lot of things involving the Emma Woods case. Um, and so this all gets wrapped up with, well, you know, we'd love for you to come back and and you know tell us more in the future. So it's never wrapped up with any sort of finality, right? There's no like, there there were, weren't even really any follow up questions. There were some hard questions in there for him to to answer, right? And so you go, wow, that's that's a great an- that's a great question, George. Except. There's no follow-up, so whatever his answer is just stands. Uh And I guess it dawned on me that I believe the next night, Monday, and I could be wrong about this, but I believe the next night Richard Hoagland was going to be on. So it dawned on me that Coast to Coast isn't really the entity that should be investigating something like this because essentially they promote bullshit anyway. (laughs) <laughs> and so here is the problem: if the problem is that the mainstream media is bought and paid for by corporations or by politicians or whatever, if it's all a farce, and so we turn to paranormal media or conspiracy, you know, oriented media um, for a better handle on the truth, but they're not discerning, then can we expect them to actually provide us with any more truth than the bought and paid for? Mainstream media, and I submit to you that we can't.
1: No, of course not. No, well, well I mean, again, it's. So, where
3: are you supposed to go? Right here. Uh, I mean, yeah. really, this is it. As far as I can tell, this is it.
1: Well, independent media would be, yeah. I mean, that would be the place to go, would be podcasts. And, um, and unfortunately, I mean, at least I would say in u- ufological senses, or maybe even in paranormal circles that, um, one has to play the game, right, to get the guests, because you have to be friendly with so and so, guest A to get guest B to come on. I mean, if uh, I had to
3: guess, I would say that George Knapp, as a reasonable human being, had to have been listening to uh Jacobs and thought, Wow, this is batshit insane. And then as he's listening to that, because he had even made this statement that, you know, as Jacobs was saying, Well, why is this even important? I don't even understand why this is a big deal. It's not you know, they made this a cover story in UFO Magazine and it's not even a big deal. Oh. And and Knapp had to explain to him why it was a big deal. Well, it has ramifications for the entire field. You know, blah, 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 blah. So, okay, so if if George Knapp believes it has in ramifications for the entire abduction research field, and he's confronted with what are clearly deceptions and just craziness on the part of Jacobs, as a reasonable person, doesn't he then have to go, uh-oh, all of this abduction research <laughs> might be complete shenanigans. Right. But is he ever going to say that publicly? Is he ever going to say that out loud? Or is it just going to end with, well, thanks for your time, David Jacobs. I hope to hear back from you in another year and hear what, where you are with your research.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, but,
3: And he's the best that we can produce, you know what I mean? Because it's like, I mean, he's considered a legitimately decent reporter and fair and balanced and all of that. And in yeah. the realm of that stuff... That is true, but in the realm of actually getting to a truth about this stuff or even just being brave enough or brazen enough to have a follow-up question or two, Uh it ain't good enough because – and again, it's because the next day he's going to have Richard Hoagland on. So does it matter? You know what I mean? Like how are you going to take out David Jacobs and then have on somebody the caliber of Richard Hoagland? Right. Like where yeah. does it end for a show like that? So well, it, to me it does it's like end. even weird that they would even have him on in the first place to challenge him because what's the point? Are you going to have on, you know, every third guest? Are you going to challenge on their bullshit? Like where does where does that begin and end?
1: Well, I, I think this has been said before about things like Coast to Coast where they have a show to do, what, six nights a week, correct? I mean I, I have to be honest. I I didn't stay up for, for Coast to Coast with uh, – with Doctor Jacobs, I I didn't I I felt my time was better spent on the couch uh, sawing logs. Uh, <laughs> and you're correct, sir. <laughs> but you know they're looking at a show that's taped or recorded or put out six nights a week, uh, and so it's live. It, actually, it's a live
2: show. Yeah, I mean
1: it's it's not in their best interest to piss anyone off or to pick, piss a large contingency of people off like. Uh, people who think that they're experiencers to piss them off. That doesn't make logistical sense for them in the sense that Jacobs won't come on the show again or Hopkins won't come on the show. And then before you know it, someone else won't come on and, and they're there, they're losing uh, a foothold on the next guest that they can have on. Right. So um,
3: my, my point is that like, you know, at first I was getting upset with George Knapp in my head. I was like, Oh, I can't believe him. And then it just dawned on me. There's no reason to get upset with him because this is the best he can do. This is the best that he is going to be allowed to
1: do. Correct, right? And that
3: doesn't mean that there's some overlord going. You better not do this, or else. It's just, you know, your role. <laughs> you know, right? You know what you got to do, and the show this must is, go on because it is in is fact coast. a show.
1: Yeah, right. This is coast. You know, you know where to play this. You know, this is not uh, what is it? K L A S that he works for. So you're not you know you're not doing an investigative journalist piece here you're you're on coast, and that's probably the parameter that he has to go in and uh
0: so I just hope people
3: aren't deluding themselves when they listen to shows you know that promote themselves as you know we tell you the things that the mainstream won't touch and you know all that stuff that this is all just another dog and pony show in the same way that the mainstream media is a dog and pony show
1: yeah yeah unfortunately that's that's <laughs> unfortunately true but you know like i said i did i didn't hear it and uh, and and i had brought up to you that uh you know to me it's kind of a you know i've kind of i've kind of moved off of it now at this point because i i i said dead issue to you earlier on the phone about it but i don't i don't want to call it a dead issue i would say it's it's a done issue for me i mean um i don't see and I'll state this flatly. I don't see how anyone can look and or listen to the stuff presented here and elsewhere across the net about not only the use of hypnosis, but the whole Jacobs Woods, you know, interaction. I don't see how anyone can look at that and then go, Yeah, but this is still valid work. And if you can then I would say this straight out. You're brain dead.
0: Well, you know, I just
1: just don't see that happening. I was watching
3: message boards because Emma had written to me after the Jacobs interview Mm -hmm. saying – Wow. Not only are people posting, like, horrendously insulting things that I couldn't even read on the air, uh, messages to her on YouTube and and various other places, right? Uh So she's getting this sort of hate mail, almost death threat level hate mail, Mm -hmm. um, because Jacob said she's a psycho, so she's a psycho, so why is she picking on this man? And of course, host isn't going to have her side of the story, right? And they're certainly left it open-ended enough to where the fans can maybe feel like, you know, if they are idiot enough to <laughs> to like what they heard to go with it. But there are also people like saying that she's, I don't know, th- there were these two women. And I, the first one you would know the name of and I don't remember it. But the second one was Arizona Wilder. You know, there are these two women who are supposedly brainwashed CIA agents. And so somebody out there in Internet land is formulating the theory that, in fact, Emma Woods is one of these women uh, with a dummy account and a, you know, that basically sent by the CIA to screw with Jacobs and blah, what? blah, What? Yeah. And so, I you know, here we are Ugh. seeing the myth, a mythology being created because nobody wants to deal with the facts. But right. then also I saw in one thread, your thing, which was somebody said, okay, Jacobs may be a bad apple. But we can't possibly throw out all of hypnosis because then where would we go? Where would we go? You know, you have to throw out all the research. We can't do that, can we? Yes. Yes. So there you go. And so this is the kind of thing that I think, like, leaving it as open-ended as they did is the gateway for morons to just, you know, climb over themselves to badmouth her and to turn it into... Something that has nothing to do with a fact period.
1: Jeremy, have you heard the Coast to Coast callers?
3: <laughs> no, I can't I can't say that I I have.
1: I'm just saying.
3: Yeah. West of the Rockies. Uh,
1: I I mean I again, it's it's just one of those things where we've we've talked before about how kind of a, a thought that we had at one point in time was can we actually Make suggestions within the field that would maybe propagate and take root in some fashion that that would uh, up the level of discernment or the at least the tone of discussion you know and and we slowly found that no in fact you can't do that because number one, there's so many different factions of people who are interested in paranormal topics, but you've also got. Uh, what we 've talked about before, which is the clicks within all of these different uh you know formulas of paranormal uh thinking, and so when you come right down to it there's really no fixing anything, and so to make any progress it's it it becomes more and more apparent to me that you have to essentially gather what you can as you go out the door. It, you know, in other words, you lay your case out, you present the data that you have, uh, and then it's up to a certain uh it 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 demands a certain amount of critical thought and it demands a certain amount of of, of smarts to, to say, you know, this is bullshit <laughs> and and I'm not going to I'm not gonna fall prey to this anymore. And now it's time to get serious and really start – thinking about this stuff in in a different way and in new ways. And we've clearly, we've gotten uh, listenerships that recognize that, but I, I don't think there's any case that you could present to anyone, no matter how good your, your information that would effectively change everyone's opinion on this This thing. I mean, just take, for instance, the hypnosis thing. We're not, I think that right now this has to percolate for a while before it really does start to take uh, and enact some kind of awareness for people. I mean, people have to become aware of it, number one. But number two, even if they are aware of it, uh, the likelihood of even I, hell, I'll be generous if even 20% of the people in Ufology or the UFO interested public uh, who's read these books and knows the abduction scenario and, and is familiar with the, the methodologies. I would say 20%. I'd say that'd be a pretty damn good number if you could actually get through to that and have these people go, wow, uh, this is not what I thought. And, uh, And I've looked at what's been presented. I'm looking at what's out here. I'm listening to this, uh, to Dr. Lillenfeld, et cetera, et cetera. And and this is just not viable. So, wow, where do we go from here? And start asking those kind of questions. Unfortunately, I think no matter how long you belabor the point, I mean, years ago, I mean, like when I first got involved in this, you know, a researcher told me, who was very well thought of at the time, said to me, no matter how good your evidence is – on any topic in the paranormal, whether it be about the phenomena or about the field or someone in the field or some faction of the field, 50 percent will believe it. 50 percent won't. And as time goes on, I'm realizing, oh, it's a lot smaller a faction than 50 percent. <laughs> it's a lot smaller. Um, but then I don't think the level of discernment is there that was there 15 years ago in this field. I just don't think it's there. Um I think that level of discernment has severely waned uh over the years. So I think that's the point I was trying to make is that, you know, to belabor the point it is still trying to reach those who don't really care or don't really or would rather live with that uh or ignore that uh that data and would rather ignore people like Lillenfeld and and Emma Woods and uh Mr. Reed and all these. I mean, that's effectually what I learned from uh dare I say it on this program, the Meyer case. You know, I mean, that was a, a good year and a half where I just pick through every photograph and um you know, duplicated shots like a fool, uh, which I shouldn't have done, but n- never realizing that, wow, all I'm really doing is giving attention to something that doesn't deserve attention. And number two, you know, it, it's it's I I look back at that and I go, I really, I went into the lion's den <laughs> of a Yahoo groups member board of the, the Meyer, uh, I guess, stateside people. And I got three people out of a lot of people on that list to actually go, wow, you're right. It's, this is all bullshit. <laughs> I'm like, yes, yes, look. And I was happy with those three, but the rest of them. You know, just any absurd excuse to continue the delusion was good enough for them. And so at some point you just realize, you know, I, I'm I'm not getting through. Um, and those who are intelligent enough to see this and intelligent enough to, to learn and then let's explore other venues or other avenues of looking at this are the ones you want listening are the ones that you care about because that's those are the people who think and the people who don't think we can't be concerned about that's really where it falls for me
0: well that
3: makes sense um i just think in terms of all this stuff much the way jacobs could originally hide behind she's just one lone crazy person right you can hide behind he's just one lone crazy person and so (laughs) we need to hear about the other crazy people and we will be doing that Uh, probably shortly.
1: Yeah. I mean, how do you feel about, I mean, do you feel like it's, it's one of those things that has to percolate for a while or?
3: Yeah, I think it, I mean, it was, it's shocking to me how many people don't know about it. And so therefore coast to coast was their first exposure to this. Mm -hmm. And so if coast to coast's exposure to this is to let David Jacobs talk about his research and, and I guess you can make the argument, let him hang himself with his own words, except you know, I guess if people aren't smart enough to figure out that he has uh right. then that's one issue, but then will those people ever figure anything out and then
1: well, there are, it is. are you yeah.
3: ever even trying to convince those people? I don't know, but it just would have really helped if at the end of his half hour rant, he didn't name Emma Woods, he didn't name her at all. Uh-huh. He said he refused to say her name because he doesn't you know, so uh-huh. he just talks about this lone, crazy woman you know for about a half hour he does this huh how effective would it have been if George Knapp at the end of that half hour rant had said, well, what about Brian Reed? (laughs) Right. But he never fucking said that. Right. And I know he knows about Brian Reed. So Mm -hmm. why didn't he say it? Yeah. It could have just slipped his mind. Yeah. It could have just been that, but it's like, wow. But he didn't, I mean, at some point he was talking about, you know, Elizabeth and saying, I trust her. I've known her for over 11 years. I love her. She's great. She's wonderful. She's blah, blah, blah. So that's why I trust that she's not faking instant messages and whatever. But in order to be 100% certain, I would have to peek into her windows at night and just watch and see if you know <laughs> these aliens show up. To which, again, one little follow-up question. Couldn't she just turn on her webcam? Right. Why didn't he ask that? I mean, again, it could have just slipped his mind. It's it's always easy to play, you know, quarterback and yeah, hindsight fact, or yeah. whatever. But
1: well, again, I mean, can I point out that uh, that that no researcher in this should be that trusting?
3: Well, that's a whole other issue. The whole you know, other issue is: yeah. should you even be in the position with your subjects that you claim to have, you know, cold scientific distance from? This is even going on in the first place. So, I mean, I I guess, you know, again, could it just be that George Knapp is like, well, I'll just let him hang himself with his own words. People are smart enough to figure this out. Maybe. I mean, maybe.
1: Well, yeah. And I think that's what you have to do is essentially to handle it just like that, where, you know, it it becomes obvious. And for the people that it doesn't become obvious about, I mean, how concerned can you be? I'm not uh, concerned about that. I mean, i I think that that I, again, for me, it ended at Lillenfeld's episode. Everything after that was just proof to me of Lillenfeld's, ass, you know, assertions about uh, about hypnosis and what can happen and how it affects people. I don't not share your aggravation at what's. In fact, I got. Kind of relit on that fire um, this past weekend because there was a a special I believe it was on the Science Channel about multiple personality disorder, and I remember watching this and I'm, it was it was all very interesting talking about dissociative disorder, uh, what causes it. But there was a man who
2: uh,
1: I guess for all intents and purposes was a normal uh, married man with children daughters i believe if memory serves and um he woke up one day as a woman <laughs> that's it he doesn't know where he is doesn't know his children doesn't know his wife and he's a woman and uh these children were devastated i mean uh he, he essentially again i memory's fuzzy cuz it's late but i mean it was It was the kind of thing where he left the house and uh, they didn't have a dad. I mean, they didn't have a dad when he was there because he was a woman. And then uh, at some point he was shocked or somehow electrocuted and collapsed. And when he came out of that, he was a baby. (laughs) And then one day woke up as a man again. But it was years later and he lost, I think, 11 years of his life. He just has no memory of it. And then they said that multiple personality disorder can lead to drug abuse, can lead to overdose, can lead to suicidal tendencies. And I just got so fucking pissed off because I thought to myself, how could anybody – well, I know how because when one doesn't know psychology, when one doesn't know and is not trained in psychology and has no education in it whatsoever – to suggest um, a, a multiple personality disorder and to implant that as some kind of suggestion in a hypnotic state, that doesn't oh well you know whatever, but I love I watched that and I thought to myself, you know maybe there there is reason to be seriously concerned for emma's health because what is the long term you know that's That's the big question for me is what's going to be her long-term effects from this, if there is any, and I hope there's none. But what if? I mean, how does one really look at that and then say, well, I, I had to do that, or this was agreed to, or this was known about, or I don't care how you cut it. When you're suggesting something like that in a suggestible state, that can lead to suicide or drug abuse or waking up and not knowing where you've been the past 11 years. How do you sleep? (laughs) How do you sleep knowing that that may have an effect like that? I mean, that's just blew my mind. I mean, I just, I found that to be, I, I, I said to my wife, I said, there's the question that should be asked if a caller calls in is, you know, did you think at all, uh, suggesting this, that this could have very long-term psychological repercussions for somebody. And how will you feel about that if that is, in fact, what happens?
3: Well, they didn't have callers, first of all.
1: Oh, thank God for that, right? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I just started thinking about that. And again, this is all just my opinion, but it's like, how do you, how do you sleep? How do you sleep, man?
3: Well, you're reprehensible. That's how you sleep. I mean how do you how do you do this show and in and in, during the show at least 3 times he said well you know maybe I'll I'll write my next book I, that's probably what I'll do my next book will be about all of this whole situation
1: yeah great
3: i mean how do you say that when you I mean, because he knows what he is you know it, it, i mean to me it just i wonder yeah. it remind i'll just tell you my opinion when i heard that was immediately of ted bundy thinking that he can charm his way out of court. Ugh, I mean, that made me sick, you know, like, oh, I'll just write a book about this. I mean, his yeah. answer should be, I'm just going to go away now. I'm done.
1: Well, again, it's one of those things where, <laughs> and you know how I always say, you know, it's one thing to sit around and talk about this stuff. It's another matter when you're standing in the front lawn watching a disco over your head, you know, that sort of, of hardcore realization. But then there's also, like we've talked about before, like for some people, this is one big game. This is one big D&D factory. And I think if nothing else, that this ought to show people that when you're dealing with people and you're dealing with a potentially dangerous tool, that this can actually be very, very serious. I mean, to the point where people can die. I mean, that that's what I walked away from that program thinking to myself. It's like – it's like – you know, I'm not – I mean, and believe me, Emma seems to be completely have walked away from this. But I don't know. I mean, I'm not a psychologist, so I don't know. But I mean, everything that they were talking about, I'm thinking to myself, my God, you know, what if she wakes up one day and she's not her anymore? And and what's that going to do to her life? And this is this is someone's life. This is not a game anymore. This is not about a paranormal subject. And as important as I think this subject is to you, I mean, certainly to me, to listeners that we have, it's an important topic. But is it important enough (laughs) to say, yeah, well, that happened and, you know, end of story. There it is. It's all about how we shouldn't be using hypnosis. I think it's got to go further than that. I think it has to go to putting this in front of a medical board and saying, Shouldn't people be properly educated in psychotherapy <laughs> before engaging in this In effectually saying to do this without some sort of – I don't – goddamn the certification that they got because clearly that's not being leveled as a medical practice, right? If you are caught doing this in any capacity without the proper psychological training, which would then render it useless by way of psychological training, you would render it useless for doing what it's doing in this field. But to do this would be the equivalent of practicing medicine without a license. That's where it should be. I mean, if it's that dangerous, why isn't it is my question. That's what's uh, reprehensible to me.
3: Well, maybe it needs to be lobbied for. Maybe it's one of those things just slip through the cracks and needs to be pointed out.
1: And I mean, if anybody knows what kind of, uh, yeah, I don't even know if it's something an individual could do. Maybe somebody like a Dr. Lillenfeld might be able to enact something like that. But if anybody knows something that could be done about that or who we would write or how we would even approach something like that, I'd certainly like to know. Like, how do you get this in front of a board to go, hmm, yeah, this is serious and we need to put a stop to this because this is this is handing out Tylox as uh, aspirin you know, when you're not a doctor. I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous. And I think, I think again, uh, on so many levels, we've talked about how immature this field can be and how D&D it can be. I think the only way to stop the kid from playing with the pistol is to take the fucking pistol away. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's the only way that you're going to put a stop to it and say, all right, this is serious business. People's lives are being changed and people's memories are being fabricated and that's never a good thing.
0: Uh, yes.
3: Yeah. And what he said about hypnosis was comical too. You know, Nappet asked him, should amateurs like you be doing hypnosis in the first place? And he oh, said, great question. F-. And he said, yes.
1: <laughs> oh, poor yeah. answer.
3: Yeah. <laughs> he said, for, <laughs> he said forensic hypnotists and hypnotists who hypnotize you for weight loss or that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, they are not qualified. They, they, They don't know what they're doing. They're not qualified to uh, do regression abduction therapy.
1: Are you fucking serious? And
3: uh, he said, furthermore, I mean, as an example, Dr. Simon, when he did, you know, the Betty and Barney Hill case, he had no idea what to ask them. If you listen to those tapes, he had no idea what he was asking or what to even ask them. These people are not qualified to do the, you know, the work that David Jacobs does.
1: Oh, because they didn't ask the leading questions, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Or or they didn't do it over instant messaging. Let's put it that well, way. Well, I thought
3: it was odd that he he said forensic. I mean, it, it almost, again, it brought to mind, well, gee, uh, he must have heard the Whitley Strieber interview. Because uh-huh. I know when Hopkins was on Coast, not but a week prior, I believe, Uh, he had mentioned Strieber by name and dug into him a little bit.
2: Uh-huh.
3: And here Jacob sort of picks up the slack and says, you know, uh, experiencers, people who call themselves experiencers um, are into the love, you know, the love and light of, you know, stuff that just really? doesn't yeah, doesn't reflect reality and, you know, people who refer to them as visitors as opposed to aliens. You know, visitors, of course, is a Streber term. The forensic thing is something Streber brought up. He had a forensic <sighs> hypnotist who told him don't do it beyond the initial two.
1: Right.
3: So I thought it was a callback to that show, frankly. Um, but Either way, completely, completely off his rocker. I mean,
1: well, can I just can I just respond to the uh, people who call themselves experiencers Sure. Fun? Fuck you. Thank you.
3: Okay, very good. <laughs> and he even went so far as to say, you know, John mack you know, there's he said there's absolutely no evidence that it goes any other way than what he and Hopkins have said it goes. He uh, said, yeah. and John Mack, you know, when when he was alive, he when he was doing his work, he uh, he had his own theories. He basically said, had his own theories along the love and light line, but that none of his subjects ever gave testimony to that. So he had to try to make it, he had to sort of t- try to twist it to make it fit his theory, but it really didn't. Wow. <laughs> yeah.
1: That's astounding. I mean, there, there you go, folks. Uh, for, for people who are actually having this experience, there's the people talking for you. Congratulations <laughs> ridiculous man. What I am mean, I doing here?
3: He might as well have just been talking <laughs> about himself or Hopkins at that point, you know, yeah, that's the beauty of it. It's like uh, really that's how you that's how you get away with saying your thing is right and everyone else is wrong just by saying it
1: sure, <laughs> sure that's it and and I'll tell you something, and I, I'm sure that this is why that when Emma first came out with her story that she was rather. I don't know, somewhat timid about it because you're going up against someone in the field who, you know, has the clout. Uh, it's the clout. It's the click. There it is again, you know. I mean, this this happens all the time on much lesser levels in this stuff, you know. But to go against the grain, I mean, hell, me and you have found that out re- really quick. To go against the grain is to be the wrong one. You're the one in the wrong uh because so and so couldn 't possibly tarnish themselves in such a way, blah 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 and and there it is, so i 'll just kind of wrap up my sentiments on this by saying don't you know as far as he goes, he doesn 't ever have to fucking assume to speak for me or to tell me what I am uh or to uh label me by what I refer to this experience as you know, I find that personally offensive, I find him offensive, but that 's beyond the conversation. So, um, I, I think, I think that's unbelievable. Uh, and again, I haven't heard it. I'm going by, you know, what you're saying, but, um, it, it, that's utterly fucking ridiculous. Yeah. Just ridiculous.
3: Well, I'll give you one more little bit and this is probably something that uh, won't come up anywhere else <laughs> just blood because pressure. I thought it was
1: pressure is not high enough. <laughs> it was so completely
3: telling, well, this isn't a blood pressure thing. So much as he was just, he was talking about how lately he's really been just doing more of sitting on the couch and watching TV than actual abduction research.
1: Wow, good move. Yes.
3: Yeah. But he's like, you know, I, I think Napp even asked him, you know, what what do you watch to get away from it all or something? You know, he was basically saying he watches a lot of TV. He watches uh, a lot of fantasy. Uh, v and Oh Fringe. Fantastic
1: fantastic
3: and he's like and these are just great escapist i mean none of it's true none of it's real it's just it's just a way to let go it's like really or is it a way to reinforce everything that you already believe and and then find more <laughs> stories to draw out of people by mm. accident
1: all right
3: yeah i mean that was just incredible v <laughs> is, i know this is the big difference between your real life work and your fantasy is v and fringe
1: <laughs> i don't know Wow. Ugh.
3: It's like Dick Cheney likes to torture people for fun, you know? Like, I like to go <laughs> quail I mean, hunting and shoot I mean, people in the face for fun. Let me go, let
1: me go set that small squirrel on fire. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just ridiculous. It really is. It's how I you relax.
3: Know.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> torture my dog with a fork. So um, that
3: happened. What else happened in 2010, Jeff?
1: <laughs> uh... <laughs> Wow. God, thank God we're leaving that behind. Well, we had Jacques Vallée on the show, which was, that was a big deal. That was a, uh, I mean, that wasn't that long ago, I know, but you guys have no idea how long that uh, we chased after that, that interview to have uh, Dr. Vallée on the show. And I think that that was, if I think back to this year, if we're doing this show in five or 10 years, that's what I'm going to look back on and go, oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that was the year we first got. Uh, Jacques Vallée on the show but I think um, uh, I'm looking at the uh, uh, at the archives over on paratopia.net and man it's like I look back at Dr. Greg Matloff <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> episode 3 I mean it seems like forever ago I mean it's it really is tough to believe that we're rounding up on 100 right I mean yeah It's crazy. I mean, this year we also had Travis Walton on, which I thought was really great. And uh, you had uh, Gregory Sams on, which I know you really enjoyed that one. Um, And was this the year that we said Ufology must die?
3: (laughs) I think that's every year. (laughs) But yeah, I think so.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, that didn't happen. Uh, Actually,
3: it did die in a way because it's like everything that came out that was supposed to be big news was just a bogus like Yahoo story from China.
1: Yeah. Or, yeah. or the New
3: York balloons or, you know, the San Antonio Flyers or whatever, you know.
1: Like yeah. Flyers. I think for me, like going forward out of this, it's like I become incredibly despondent about this whole thing on pretty routine occasion. And uh and the thing that I said to myself, not a couple of days ago, I thought to myself, you know, what what we had talked about before uh, is true is to not try and change the field or change people's minds. It's to become uh or to just be what you want or the way the direction that you would like to see this go, which is more critical thought, more skeptical, less ideological uh to, to be those things and then to basically try to contain your own – like peritope would be like the like the banner that we made so many moons ago, uh, your dinghy in a sea of lies. Remember that line you wrote?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I think that's like – to me like 2011 should be that thing. I think that we should effectively cut the umbilical cord from not, – not so much – Well, it's citing reports and trends and stuff like that. That's all fine, provided it comes from a source that you can actually believe. Um, But more or less try to distance from the personality side of things, uh, which we did to a certain point, and kind of make our own sphere. And this sphere is where we examine these things in such a way that – you know, doesn't follow. I mean, we've never followed the trend of ufology. Let's be honest. But to even get further distanced from that, it, you know, would be kind of like a nice goal to set. You know, again, why do we listen? You asked that question back on uh, episode seventy-eight. You know, why do we listen, and why do we care about this stuff? So, I, I still think the best course of action, you know, going forward is to is to try and reflect what you would like to see happen. You know, and to get guests on that that share that sentiment that you know all this stuff should be treated in a, a much different fashion than the uh, ideologies and the uh, ufological heroes and all that sort of thing. I think that would be a great way to go, um, and try and just create our own community that you know not they don't have to subscribe to our thoughts on this, but certainly to subscribe subscribe to the. I don't know the the method if if it's even if you could even call it a, is it a method Jesus the Peritopia method that doesn't sound good <laughs> uh, <laughs> just trying to to be a little bit more serious about this rational discourse that sort of stuff so I mean I don't see anything wrong with that I I think we've had a good uh, a good year of shows now and
3: uh, well, maybe we should ask the listeners what they would like to hear too in terms of topics because you and I have talked about delving into near death experiences and. Yes. I feel like there's a lot there to explore, but do people want to hear it? Um, do we care?
1: <laughs> uh, <laughs> we want to hear it. I mean, <laughs> well, I do. Yeah. I mean, you mean do the, do we care what they think? <laughs> yes.
0: Uh, You'll uh, hear yeah. what we want you to hear.
1: <laughs> yes, we care. I I think well, I've had a couple of people mention to me, you know, about going into uh different places besides UFOs and ghosts. Uh uh and I mean, we haven't really done that much on the crypto stuff, which is interesting stuff because there therein lies some really interesting paranormal stuff that is not, again, normally associated with a cryptid. You know, most people want to look at that and say, well, that's a flesh and blood beast of some sort. And, uh, and in fact, uh, in a lot of accounts, there is some very strange shit that surrounds that as well. So – that could be definitely an area I'd like to go, but I've been watching a lot of stuff on near death lately. Um, there's a great program on, I believe it's the bio channel called I survived. Everybody knows the, I survived, uh, uh, being, uh, stabbed 28 times and rolled down an embankment. But this is, uh, I survived, uh, there and back. If you can catch that on bio channel, it's well worth it. It's literally from the mouths of the people who lived it with, uh, sort of a, a, a reenactment of uh, of their experiences. And I'll tell you, you watch two episodes of these and it is amazing that they're not exactly alike, but there's parts of them that are exactly alike. The one that I thought was, was really interesting was a woman and her friend driving down the street and gets, they get broadsided by a, a tractor-trailer. And... uh her and her friend are in a cave, and it's a long tunneled cave. And they're there together, but there's someone else there, and this someone else is trying to lead them towards this light at the end of this tunnel that seems to be like a rock. And this being says to her, uh, "One of you is not going to be able to go, uh, w- you know, with us." And uh, and uh, the woman said she almost felt uh, a little sorrow to feel. I hope it's not – I hope it's me that gets to go back. And and a familiar thing is is that you're going to go back, but it's going to be painful. You're going to hurt, so be prepared for it. That's been recounted in at least uh, three or four of these different accounts from different people. But what I found interesting about the tunnel is that I'd never heard it referred to as like a rock or cavernous tunnel. And what I found interesting about that was uh, I was listening to the Psychedelic Salon with Lorenzo and on there he was talking to a gentleman about uh, Salvia Divinorum and uh, apparently this gentleman and his friend had uh, and I never knew this, I thought Salvia was predominantly meant to be smoked, but apparently you chew it. You get the tender leaves off somewhere on the plant, either top, middle, or bottom, I don't know what he said, but You roll them into a ball and you eat them. And supposedly, you know, as as a lot of people, I've talked to a lot of people lately who've uh, experimented with salvia and all of them that I've known uh, personally have smoked it and have said that it was a horrifying experience that they wouldn't want to repeat. Uh, And this gentleman said, you know, if you chew these leaves, uh, it's a much different experience. It's also quite long uh, in comparison to what the smoked is. But anyway, he said uh, we're we're on the couch, and my friend and I are, and we go into this state, and I hear my friend as I'm losing, you know, touch with the reality that I know, and going into this other place. uh, I hear my friend say, "Are you in there?" (laughs) And he says, "When I came out of it, we 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 got uh, we got our feet back on the ground." I said, "What are you? What were you talking about?" And he said, "Well, I was in this long uh, tunnel." that was cavernous and there was a bright light at the end. And again, I mean, it's like, I'm like, wow, did I not just hear this two nights ago on, uh, on the, uh, the life after death show where they're talking about this long cavernous tunnel with a light at the end. And again, I, I look at the explanation that you commonly hear from the doctors is the optic nerves are dying and, uh, oxygen's being robbed of that area, and and so you get these this light with the uh, um, uh, dimming blackness coming around. This woman described: she said this was not this was a cavernous tunnel of rock. This was not an appearance. This was, you know, tactile, and, and as well in the psychedelic experiments, this this man said that it was. So he was standing there in this place and, and wondering where his friend was and why wasn't he there, that sort of thing. There's the, the psychedelic connection again, the altered state thing there again with uh, with life after death. And I think that we could explore that and then maybe have our, uh, our psychedelic roundtable uh, that we've been wanting to do for ages. Well,
3: yeah. Somebody had added Shane, I think, and said, hey, what about Strassman? Yeah. Uh, Yeah, we've tried a couple of times and he was at the time sick of doing interviews and he was like, look, I'm just done uh, for now. So maybe for now is over. We can get him on. Um, But I I would love to know what it is about doctors where they feel that they need to explain away near death experience as something like the optic nerve going (laughs) dim when they don't know that. Like, why would you say something you don't know to replace something else you don't know? What about that feels more comfortable than the thing that actually... Brought bliss, joy, and happiness to the dying person.
1: Right, right. I, I don't know. I, I mean, that's always been kind of science's role, I guess, is to try and explain the unexplainable, even if it, even if it's a, a completely benign experience for somebody. But what I find interesting about this is that the more that you you listen to near-death accounts and then you listen to doctors who either subscribe to it and there are there are doctors out there who are in full support of life after death and, uh, and the, you know, the unlocking of the, the departing of the soul from the physical body and all of that, uh, which I find to be interesting. Um, and I wonder where the hammer falls on that. Where, where does that, you know, uh, what's different about those doctors than the ones trying to explain it in biological terms, but. What I find interesting is like much like you hear uh, about UFO cases, uh, where a skeptic will give some blanket excuse for the sighting that somebody like, what's his name, Magaha, or yeah, Yeah. you know, he will typically lay a blanket excuse and not really address the finer points of a reported case. The same holds true for these doctors that, uh, you know, will say, uh, well, the brain is is dying and shutting down. The person isn't really dead. They're not brain dead yet. There's still some oxygen that's flickering. There are still some things firing off in there. This is, you know, this is actually making a very real uh, sensation for these people to experience whatever they do. It's not that it's any less important to that person. It's just not really indicative of, of proof of any sort of afterlife. And again, uh, there was a show on uh, – I think it, again, was bio or history that was called The Day I Died. And if you guys can catch that, that is a really fantastic show because not only do we have the people who live the experience, but we also have doctors on both sides of the issue giving both sides of their take of what could be happening. And I, I always, to be honest with you, looked at Near Death and said – Wow, maybe they've got a point. Maybe some things are still firing. Maybe, you know, maybe this is uh, this is nature's way of shutting down. I mean, maybe there isn't anything past that bright light and that feeling of bliss. Until you hear the story of a woman who had a, a tumor in her brain uh, very deep inside, and it could not be operated on without freezing her for freezing her. They took her into a room that was, I forget how many degrees below zero to do this operation because they literally had to stop everything to cut this thing out of her head. And so there was no brain function at all. There was no anything. And this woman had an incredibly complex experience where she came out of her body. She described things in the room that she could not have known were there. She described the tools that the doctor was using because she watched him do it from outside. You can't explain that as, well, there's just things firing in there. That just doesn't make any sense. Something is going on there. But she had an experience of literally floating up to the wall and a portal opens. She goes into this thing and she said there were there was my close family there grandma grandpa mom dad whoever but there were also people standing back a little further that looked familiar but i didn't recognize them uh which i i hear that again and again in these things i'm reading these too online and, and you see this again and again that there were people there that that seemed like i should know but i didn't recognize them and and that that makes perfect sense to me and is in some sort of sense of saying well how far back could you possibly remember someone great 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 grandparents that sort of thing who knows but um her i think it was her dad and her uncle walked up to her in this other place and said you can't stay and she said nope i'm staying that's it and they actually got into an argument on the other side <laughs> they're fighting no, I'm not going back. Yes, you are. And they ta- they turn her around and they start walking her back to this spot above the room where she can see herself on this table being worked on. And and the way she put it was is that uh they were standing there, she's saying, I'm not going, the uncle's saying, Yes, you are and then the uncle pushed her from behind and she fell. And when she fell, again, the most common thing that I hear every one of these people say is I got so close to my body, and then almost zook. It sucks me right in, like I'm like a zipper being pulled. It's zook, and you're back. And she said that's exactly what it was like. And uh, she said it's taken her ten years to forgive her uncle for pushing her in. Hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, again, the brain is might as well have been a pound of frozen hamburger. <laughs> There's nothing going on well- in there. And even for
3: those people who aren't that dead, um how is it possible that random firings in the brain are producing um logically consistent experiences? Yeah. I mean dreams don't always do that. No. Are there any examples of near death experiences that are more dreamlike where suddenly something random and abstract happens? Yes. Are there?
1: Yeah. Um there was one really am- abstract one that, that I, that I actually saw online. And then believe it or not, the woman was on the show. I think it was two weeks ago. And her, her experience was, was, it was very vague. And I was a little disappointed because usually these are very descriptive experiences. I mean, they really go into a lot of detail about what they saw and who they saw and what was said and how it was said. And this woman just described her experience of being cold, somewhat cold and and a little disoriented, and then uh, being hugged by something unseen. And uh, she said it was like the bosom of the universe, that sort of thing. Really, I mean, in as far as you look at near-death experiences being mostly coherent, I mean, mostly like a story that you could tell someone. This seemed very vague and very impressionistic. Uh, but even that is still you know?
3: makes sense. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about like suddenly. Trippy. Yeah, suddenly yeah. the walls <laughs> come alive and the dog walks through and says, hey,
1: how you doing? <laughs> right. That I don't know. <laughs> that That I haven't heard come up yet. Nothing. Nothing so abstract as that. But certainly a lot of them are not quite as descriptive as and
3: you're naked uh, I, in a classroom fucking your dad oh there it is what No, nobody's had that dream huh uh wow what too much one step well, too far
1: and then uh, another oh <laughs> well, of course uh but the one thing that i do find really interesting is that and and people would say well of course why would it not be uh to what i'm about to say is What's really interesting is that, for instance, the first show that I saw, there was a a young man. He was 16 years old. He went to class. He felt fine. He sat down and he began to get incredibly tired. That's the way he – he says, but I don't mean tired like I want to lay my head down. I mean tired like I couldn't hold my head up. And uh, he went into a very rare form of cardiac arrest that is caused by the brain – Telling the heart, stop. (laughs) Okay. And he died on the floor. He was dead for over 50 minutes. That's five, zero minutes. Now his experience is really strange, but the longer they're not here, it seems the more that they talk about the vivid nature of what they saw. Of course, people are going to say, well, of course, if you're not in it as long, you can't be as descriptive because you're not experiencing as much. But hell, 10, 15 minutes is still a pretty good long time when you're dead. You know, When you start talking into the 50s, 50 minutes, an hour almost, I mean, what are the odds of coming back from that? And these people attribute coming back to literally – being on the other side of this reality and saying, I've got to go back. I got to go back because my mom says it's not time for me to be here yet. And I'm not supposed to be here. So I have to go back. I find it equally as amazing as, as any paranormal topic you can want to discuss. And I think that, uh, that this year we're probably going to try and get a, a number of people, maybe even a round table of people who've experienced this firsthand. Um, and i do know one person uh that i could probably contact easily to come on and, and be first uh who had a pretty wild experience that they that they wrote up online so i don't know i mean if you guys think there's something you want to talk about and something that we could look at i think you're going to find that there's definitely connective tissues to that and other phenomena uh i wouldn't be surprised if we tripped upon uh no pun intended uh you know semi psychedelic type experiences in that that may even be the kind of thing when we have the round table that we have somebody like uh, Dr. McKenna sit on on that and, and see what he thinks. So, uh, And speaking of psychedelic, we also want to get Lorenzo on the show. So,
3: From Psychedelic Salon.
1: That's right. And so if any of you listen to that program, do us a favor. Drop him an email and bug him to come on Paratopia.
3: Have you bugged him to come on?
1: <laughs> I have, yes.
3: What does he say No.
1: Um. Uh, well, last time I contacted him through Facebook and, and, uh, he didn't respond. So, I, I mean, I know he's a busy guy and everything, but, uh, I, I think, I think he'd be a great guest. I think he'd be a lot of fun to talk to. And, uh, uh, just because, you know, I mean, he presents a lot of McKenna talks and stuff like that. And he, he makes up a, uh, he, or he brings up a lot of valid points after, after every show that, um, you know, that certain experiences weren't his experiences. Well, I'd like to know more about what his experiences have been mm-hmm. in this and, and how he got to where he is right now uh, with this stuff. So, um,
3: you know, we haven't even really gotten into shamanism and, and all of that, really. I mean, no. We have talked about it, but we haven't really, you know, we had Barbara Three Crow on to discuss the Kogi and really that's it. Yeah. Um. And, you know, and I guess McKenna to some extent, right? But, uh-huh. Uh, that's something that we could explore more.
1: Yeah. Is yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I
3: would love to know, I would love to know if, um, you know, these indigenous cultures around the world are in agreement about certain things. And if so, yeah. how is that possible? Unless it's just true. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right, right. right. I think I'd assume rightly that this year will be the banner year for 2012 syndrome shows. Right. So maybe we should, uh, Maybe we should do a 2012 show before we all die a fiery death.
3: You know, funny thing you should mention that because I was watching Judge Mathis today. Oh, God. That's right. I was – don't judge me. (laughs) Judge Mathis. Uh, No, I was watching Judge Mathis today and one of the things the defendant in one case was saying was – I can't remember what what they were being sued over. But they were basically saying, look, he bought me – Uh, The plaintiff bought me this phone, and one of the reasons was, you know, he wanted to contact me and tell me that, convince me to give him money. Um, I guess he was raising money to go to Arizona for 2012 because the world's coming to an end, and you want to be in the mountains of Arizona when that happens. Oh, good lord. And to look at the plaintiff, who does in fact believe this, is to say to yourself, I would rather uh, go down like the dinosaurs than be alive (laughs) in the mountains with people like this.
1: Uh Wow. <laughs> What'd he look like, dare I ask?
3: He was uh in court wearing Cross his head. wearing his, <laughs> his finest hunter's plaid. And, oh. uh, he had what looked like could be a greasy toupee. Oh and like those prescription tinted glasses. Older mm-hmm. fellow. Not pretty.
1: So uh <laughs> Wow, so kind of a cross between Billy Bob Thornton and uh, I don't know Arlie Ermey, maybe.
3: Yeah, you just had that general dirty old man vibe.
1: Wow, not that either of those men are dirty old men. I, I don't mean. To oh know. no, I didn't mean to say they're yeah. fantastic actors. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I didn't love, mean to say yeah. I love the, them both, I guess, and then
3: and then and then apply that. But
1: I'm just afraid of them both.
3: <laughs> and that was the other the other thing the defendant was saying was uh, well he was trying to. Uh, you know get in my pants she was a young girl and he was an uh. older guy and it was like well i don't know if that's true or not but certainly if i were to just judge based on appearances uh that's quite possible
1: wow uh. <laughs> well you know i don't know i think i, I think uh, maybe maybe we do a big show on 2012 would be would be kind of interesting do you really do you hear people still clamoring about that even now i mean god knows we're inching ever closer to december 23rd right it is or 21st right. i mean do you still hear the chatter out there in uh, internet land about this stuff Cause, i mean i honestly i ignore it on on routine occasion is it still a big deal is, i don't know
3: i mean i haven't i i don't really pay attention yeah out there so i wouldn't know
1: yeah wow i don't know it's uh But I thought it was
3: a bad sign that it was on something as mundane as Judge Mathis. like uh oh. Yeah, that's a little disturbing. I mean, if there are people who are planning to head for the hills for twenty twelve, I I guess I guess that that still is out there, you know. I who knew?
1: I don't know how many shows I've seen on History Channel the past month on twenty twelve. I'm sick of it. But that could be an interesting thing to talk about. And I'd like to have Nick Redfern back to talk about uh uh the new book that he's got coming out about the uh, men in black. Mm-hmm. Which I just found out about.
3: Nick Nick, Fern,
1: Yeah, Nick likes to to write.
3: He has another book coming out about Men in Black?
1: Uh, Yes. Uh, If one might uh, skip on over to uh, UFO Iconoclasts.
3: Who says you can't make money in this field?
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, uh, God, I'm I'm sitting here because this just occurred to me. Yeah, Nick Redfern, a uh, book you should plan to get. It's uh, Nick Redfern's Treatment of the Men in Black Phenomena. Will, will appear in May 2011. It's called The Real Men in Black, Evidence, Famous Cases, and True Stories of These Mysterious Men and Their Connection to the UFO Phenomena. And if you head over to ufocon.blogspot.com, that's one of Rich Reynolds' sites, He's got a little write-up on it and uh, and a link that will take you to the TheRealMenInBlack.blogspot.com where the book is discussed in more detail. So, uh, yeah, that Redfern guy likes to write a little bit.
3: I guess so. Man. And
1: uh, Yeah. Maybe that's so, the
3: key to writing is to just keep writing.
1: Yeah, don't stop to do anything else. <laughs> well, I mean, let's be honest. Nick doesn't have to go get haircuts. So, it, you know. <laughs>
3: this is true.
1: That I get there.
3: <laughs> Maybe he has to get more than we do. You ever think of that?
1: That's probably true. You know, that's probably true. That's
3: where he does uh, his best writing.
1: That, that could be, the that could be possible. And there's been, there's been a couple of interesting things come out actually from that same direction of, uh, I, the iconoclast site. And, and that was one that, uh, that I meant to bring up to you that maybe we could get somebody to talk about the Cumberland space band photo. Familiar with that one?
3: It mm, sounds familiar.
1: That's a, it's an old photo. May 23rd, 1964, uh, a guy named Jim Templeton took his daughter out to the uh, the Berg Marsh overlooking Solway Firth in Cumberland. This is in, you know, northern England. And, um, you know, she's sitting on this grassy field and, and he snaps a picture and behind her, after they get the film developed, is what looks like a spaceman with a white suit on and uh, uh, a face mask and all of that. And... um I don't know, kind of uh, kind of buzz light yearish <laughs> looking almost. But it's it's been like a persistent thing. Um that as of yet nobody's really figured out what the hell this is. And hmm. it's it's been an interesting discussion on there and, and people trying to offer up suggestions still as to what it is and uh um You know, one person suggests that it's probably a jogger that this person. But the problem is, is that when you look at this, this area uh, at at a broader shot, you look at it and you go, how in the hell does a jogger run by him and they not see him? (laughs) It's wide open, man. So it's like it's just one of those damningly unexplainable photographs that probably has been around for a lot of years that, uh I don't know. Nobody's really come up with a good answer for us. Maybe we could get somebody on to talk about that kind of thing. Well,
3: if it was a jogger and they saw him, um, yeah, I mean, maybe they just wouldn't have noticed him, you know, like even I, if they saw him, why would they make a big deal out of? Well, a jogger?
1: well, that's the thing. I mean, when they were asked, you know, did anybody come into your vicinity? I mean, you're out in the middle of this humongous field. Did, did you see anyone? And, and the, I think the wife was there and the other kids and it, there's, nobody there i mean they nobody saw anyone
2: hmm.
1: and this spaceman looking guy you know shows up and and what's uh what's interesting about it i'm just i'm just perusing a uh, richest site here uh what's really interesting about it is that there was again in uh 1964 uh, w- w- i hope i'm saying this right Womera, um, uh, blue streak launch of 1964 that allegedly included a sighting of two spacemen similar to that captured by Mr. Templeton at Solway Firth in 1964. So there was another sighting of, and I don't, I don't know much about that, this whole thing, which would be fun for me to look at it. Cause I don't know much about it at all. Um, but yeah, there was a, uh, I'm, I, and I'm reading, I'm quoting here right from, uh, UFO iconoclasts, um, the ongoing search for details about the Templeton photo shoot is important and we hope it continues to a resolution of some kind that the Womera event isn't being pursued seriously as a mistake and a missed opportunity. So I say let's look into it a little bit. Let's uh, uh, try and find out a little bit more about this. Maybe we can get the listeners involved in digging around and maybe we can find something out. But there seems to be some sort of little weird connection between these two sightings. Um uh, in that they the same sort of people or man was seen uh in two separate spots uh, you know round about that same general area so um, or time rather and um, and so that could be interesting to go into
3: this is Stanton Friedman and you're listening to Paratopia
2: If you record audio for any purpose, chances are you want it to be heard. You want to attract the largest audience possible who can hear your message.
0: It's like you know me.
2: That's where we come in. We're CyberEars.com, a revolutionary internet service that will host your audio files and help you promote and track its popularity. Tell us more. Considering hosting a podcast to the world? We have all the automated tools to make the process as simple and easy as it can be.
3: But what about all the technical mumbo-jumbo?
2: No technical mumbo-jumbo to work out. CyberEars.com does all the work for you. You record it, we take care of the rest.
3: Does CyberEars make nachos? I like nachos.
2: So don't delay. Go to CyberEars.com today and register for a free trial account. Upload your audio files and get heard. Woo-hoo! With Cyberears.com, it's your audio on your terms.
1: Uh, you were just telling me uh, during the, uh, uh, the, the short edit break there that you got an interesting email.
2: Yes,
3: Jeff. Uh, this just in from the Fairy and Human Relations Congress. Solstice greetings. Happy solstice. I'd like to read you what they have written to all of us. Please. I'm becoming more and more aware that the magic that happens around Christmas magic is really fairy magic. And this time of year is a fairy festival. All those little lights that twinkle in the dark, those are fairies! All those elves, well, they're really elves. And Santa, well. Maybe he's the shaman.
2: <sighs>
3: Solstice is a wonderful time to make offerings of milk, honey, and song to the fairies. What kind of magic can the fairies offer you? The Scandinavian pagans would decorate their trees to delight the fairies. For many, the topper on the tree was a fairy. This was later changed to be an angel fairies and angels invite them in enjoy the magic the feast the celebration of delights and lights the light within the turning of the seasons and the thinning of the veils on this darkest night of the year how brightly can you shine blessings from the crowbar jan
1: the crowbar
3: i don't know what that is either
1: (laughs) wow all i know is you think she got might have got hit by a crowbar? I She's mean,
3: right. This is a good time to offer milk, honey, and songs to the fairies. I think that's a grand idea.
1: Yeah, because maybe they'll spin a uh, crop circle on your front lawn and drag you into it. <laughs> good Lord. Um, <laughs> well.
3: Santa as shaman, eh?
1: Now we know why his nose is red, right?
3: Huh, and now I clicked on the link of Santa as Shaman, and it brings me to a page that says, Shiloh S-H-I-L-O-H, The Psychedelic Secrets of Santa Claus. I'm not going to read it to you, but there's Uh, an article called The Psychedelic Secrets of Santa Claus.
1: What are we doing here? What I
2: want to know? What are we doing? We
1: God almighty.
3: So in twenty eleven is the Fairy Congress. Uh, we can go to that. That could be something new.
1: Should I take my footprints from the front lawn? I'm sorry, should I, what? Should I take those those <laughs> Should <laughs> I take right. those photographs of the footprints? I forgot about that. What were those things called? You looked them up on the net.
3: Uh, yeah, I don't remember. I think they're called raccoons.
1: Tree snufflers. Oh ah, yes,
3: that's right, the tree snuffler. Ah, uh, well, Jeff, what else happened in 2010? Oh, I know. You got another visit from the man in black.
1: Oh. <laughs> yeah.
3: Is this something that we can talk about? I don't know. We could talk about it, and if there are repercussions, you'll let me know tomorrow. How about that?
1: Yeah, we can try that, I All guess. Because
3: right. here's what's interesting, and I don't know if these are related. Okay. Okay. Now as I have said um or asked hey when you start getting rid of the hybrid you know alien doctor horse shit uh does this phenomena change mm-hmm. right uh what else will it run to to become um is that what we're seeing with this thing with these cloaked people you know you've got your guy with a cloak my other friend has her people with cloaks and of course, Susan Cornacki came on the show and said that she has also encounters with cloaked people. And it turns out that, at least in the case of the other person, I haven't talked to Susan Um, uh, but not just the form has changed or the, the beings themselves, uh, whatever it is she's dealing with, but the nature of the interaction is more conversational, which uh, is not to say that, that there, it's a two-way conversation, but it's more of a friendly explanation of things. Uh, and I think that you have that too. I think it's safe to say that your situation is also a, a sort of a friendly explanation of things as opposed to sit there and do this or whatever.
1: Yeah, that's fair. Mm-hmm.
3: So I find that interesting. Now, anonymous person had the experience of reading a book in bed and having a fog form in the middle of the room and this fog turning into um, a woman in a uh, you know hooded thing. And essentially, the woman saying, you're going to write a book uh, that you're going to publish, and it's going to be for the one, not the many, the one meaning one person in the crowd of people who are going to read it, uh, is really who this book is for. It's going to so impress upon this person that whatever. Um, And then goes down the list and says, pretty much chapter by chapter, here's what the book is going to be about. Um and I said, you know, male or female, like who who is the one that you're supposed to be impressing upon and she said didn't say, but but had the feeling that it was a male.
2: Okay.
3: Now, all of this may or may not be related. I don't know. I just think it's you got to throw the bits out there. All
2: right.
3: So cut to Jeff Ritzman. What? 2 weeks ago? Last week? 2 weeks uh-huh. ago.
1: Yeah.
3: You're what? Walking to your kitchen. Yep. To turn off the alarm, turn on the no, what are you doing?
1: It's I was want to get a drink.
3: Oh, what to you get a drink? Where's your family upstairs? Uh huh. And you hear from outside your glass windows or your glass window doors. What?
1: Well, um, the lay of the backyard at the, I have big glass doors on the back of the house and outside those glass doors, probably what Jeremy five, six steps is the art studio right. out back. And, um, um, uh, from the previous owner who was, I guess, I think I've said before, like a really avid gardener. There are, um, uh, there are lights all around the house, like outdoor garden lights. And so, um, uh, with the sheer curtains that are up on the, the big glass doors, uh, you kind of get this grim effect of, you know, the lights kind of shining up on that, that very thin, uh, material. And, um, you know, and I I saw uh, this thing out there, only what was a little weird. Uh, and I think I've I think I've said before that I don't necessarily. I haven't, I haven't talked a great deal about this because every time I do, I get something not great that goes on. And uh, let's just say, I mean, for the sake of argument, that I've I've seen this being leave. But not in any great dramatic way. It's not like, you know, I am Oz and uh, he throws down a green pellet of smoke and it's nothing like that. It's just like either it walks out the front door or it goes to a dark corner of the house and then it's not there. Uh, What kind of creeped me a little bit was that I actually saw it leave. I didn't see it show up. It was just I looked over and and there he was. Now, interestingly enough, most times uh, he's he's. Still sitting or walking uh, are the three states that I've seen him be in. And oddly, this time, uh, he seemed to be rocking back and forth uh, on his feet, like rocking back, and forth. like constantly, not Cold, quickly freezing. You know. Well, I don't know. I mean, it, it didn't put me in mind of that it, it was it wasn't dancing, but it was not it wasn't like I'm scooting back and forth cause I'm cold. And it also wasn't like walking. It was like, he was just rocking back and forth, but it didn't seem, it almost seemed like a pulling back and forth rather than someone rocking back and forth. It's kind of hard to describe what the motion was like, but it, something didn't seem right. And there seemed to be a, a hurried kind of attitude about it. And I, you know, I feel kind of weird. Uh saying this, but the gist of the conversation was, you know, I mean, I, I literally went over to open up the door and um, was, you know, basically stopped and said, no, you know, no, no time for that, that.
0: Uh Flash, this just in to the Paratopia news desk. As it turns, Jeff Ritzman is not allowed to speak of the bulk of what happened that night, thus rendering most of this setup moot. However, it is possible to glean some useful information off of how the being exited the conversation. Let's listen.
1: It ended rather abruptly, and um, I'm going to refer you guys to, and I know that a lot of you must watch Ghost Hunters or must have watched it in years past. There was an episode that they went to a lighthouse, and I think it was in Florida, where they got video of, uh, as they were shooting up, the lighthouse up the stairwells, they caught what looked like somebody looking over the rail and it was dark and then it kind of shot away and it was two flights up that kind of instantaneous motion of black swoosh was how that it left and it left leaving to my visual left um, because I saw it cut across the light that is beside the studio shed doors and that's how I saw the motion of that but it was very abrupt and uh and really creepy <laughs> because it ceased to be any kind of uh human form it wasn't like a run it wasn't like that he leaned a certain way as if to say I'm going to take off this direction it's like really strange to see a person go from a form to literally a black nondescript blur that quickly. I mean, it was so quick that I think had you blinked twice, you would have missed it. I can't remember really how much I've talked about this stuff because it's been kind of touchy, but a lot of what has been conveyed to me has been stuff like about me, about just personal, you know, my interactions with people and, and, and anger. Cause I'm an angry guy a lot of the time. Uh, and, and I think one of the, one of the personal, I guess, revelations that came out of this interaction early on was understanding why that I'm angry so much of the time and so much of it is not what I thought it was. It, it's it's more along the lines that turning a blind eye to um, suffering people, you know, that sort of thing. And we all do it. I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I'm sure you know there's a lot of people listening who. Have jobs, have disposable income, and there's people starving and uh in this country <laughs> that don't that can't eat, you know, and it's like when you really stop and think about it, you just you go that's something so wrong about that, and then I start thinking about like pro athletes and stuff like that, like they make so much money and actors they make so much money, and a lot of them do give to a lot of charities, and that's a great thing, but so many don't. Uh, and it, it just, it becomes intolerable to me to think about that kind of stuff. So I don't. And one of the things I said last year was that I wanted to actually do something, you know? I mean, there's, there's no reason for people in this world not to eat and, uh, and for kids to die of the measles. I mean, it's like, this is ridiculous people. And so this year, I mean, this, this past year, uh, I didn't do a damn thing really to kind of pick up the hammer and say, I'm going to do this thing that I see on TV where you essentially feed a child in, in a, in this country or another country or wherever. does it really fucking matter what goddamn country it is. It doesn't matter, but you never just, you never just do it. You know, I hate to sound like that old man that looks like Santa Claus on the care commercials, but it's like, you know, it's that kind of thing. And I, I think that it, if anything else, maybe this was trying to impress upon me that I tend to take a defeatist attitude. It's like, well, what can one, what can I do? I mean, I'm only one guy making an average wage for what I do. I keep my head above financial water, but I'm not rich. And, you know, what 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 possible difference could I make in a broad sense? But maybe it's not about that. Maybe it's, maybe it just does come down to Doing something, you know, pay, pay attention and do something. And that maybe that alleviates some of that, I don't know, that anger. You had
3: said, uh, last time on the show that you aren't the same person when you're talking to this guy as you are normally, no. uh-uh. but were you the same person at this time? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Because, because I mean, you were just was
3: walking a... to the kitchen. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, well, yeah, it's different. I don't, not exactly.
3: <laughs> well, you what? Just to clarify, you weren't talking about out of body experience or anything like that.
1: New, uh, uh-uh. no, it uh,
3: just a different air comes about you when you're in the presence of this. Well, woman. it's a
1: difference. It's a difference between just seeing this person and then like a like sitting down on the floor. I mean, that's different. That does feel a little bit. Even though I would say that the that the fear factor is reduced a lot, I mean reduced a lot, a hell of a lot, there seems to be a – and I have a hard time reconciling whether or not it's, as I said before, like the beings. Like when I used to see these beings years ago, it, I always said it seems like part of the weirdness about it is that they seem to bring a part of their reality here and maybe perhaps that's what our brains are sputtering against and trying to perceive what this is is because part of their reality, the only way they can exist here for us to perceive them is for them to bring part of their reality into this little bubble around them or something. And maybe when we get close enough, our, our minds or our perceptual barriers kind of sputter up against that, that, um, I don't know that, that envelope that they bring with them. And um, I, I have a hard time reconciling with this person, whether or not, it's that or whether it's part of the calm down and relax and stop freaking out, <laughs> you know, it's almost like Qui-Gon, you ever did it, you know, I mean with Jar Jar, <laughs> you know, it's like go to sleep. Oof. You know, it's, I have a hard time reconciling whether or not it's the relaxation or whether it's an altered uh, envelope around him that I'm reacting to. I'm well, not now, sure.
3: You're saying him, but when you were telling the story, most of it you were saying it. Do you think it's an it or a him?
1: Well, I don't know. Um, I say him because it looks like a him, but I guess I should say it. But it, it looks, I mean, it, it, for all intents and purposes, it looks like a man. It's just the eyes don't look like a man. Um, they look, like I've said, I think I've said this before, it's that they look very young, like babies. Eyes—they're very clear, uh, glassy. Was he wearing not, the same thing? Oh yeah, hmm. yeah. Uh, they're not big. They're not almond-shaped. They're not alien-looking or anything like. They look completely human to me. But they just look—they don't match the rest of him. They look younger, like really new. Does he have uh, hair? I haven't—I haven't seen that. I've—I've I've barely seen the eyes. I mean, it's this thing usually is covering that. I mean, I'll put it to you this way: if you, if you were in my house and he walked through the living room, and walked around the table, and then walked back around the table and went out the hallway, you'd say, "I don't know how that guy sees in that thing."
3: <laughs> well, when he, when he was outside, was his was his apparel blowing in the wind?
1: You know, I, I don't exactly know. Um, I mean, again, I'm looking at it through the sheer of the curtains, so it was, wasn't like I could see every. Every bit of detail was just like the yeah, There's clearly a form there, yes, and it clearly looks like his form because he's quite tall.
3: And was he talking to you telepathically? or th- no.
1: Um, I think when I was going to the kitchen, it must have been because I don't know how I would have heard that close. But then after that, I was listening through the glass of the door because I remember having saying, "I really am having a hard time hearing him." And Why didn't parts you of it. Open the door. I was told not to. Huh. <laughs> why. Um, no it's kind of like a you know shut up and pay attention type thing it's not exactly I mean, it's not like that it's not voice like that it's just kind of like as I said there was this kind of air of a rush um, like not a lot of time and um, it, it wasn't again it wasn't verbalized it's just this is the feeling that you get I mean it, everything feeling wise is very palpable it's not you know it's it's not like, you know, when when we're sitting around here talking and it's three o'clock and they three o'clock, three four three or four o'clock in the morning and we're talking in the living room and I go, hmm, I think Jeremy might be getting sleepy because he's kind of like lagging in the conversation. <laughs> it's not like that. It's not like you have to guess with this. This you immediately know. You know, hey, not a lot of time, just be pay attention, listen to what I'm saying. Um I've got somewhere to be. I mean, I guess you could interpret it in in a sense that I don't have a lot of time. Um, The door is closing. Yeah. I mean, as hokey as that sounds, but yeah. I mean, it's like, I don't, there's limited time here. I don't have a lot of time. Um, And I have to admit that there was a portion of what was said that I did not, I couldn't make out. Um, But before I knew it, it was over, and then I was just standing there at the door and um, and the minute that it shot away, I just kind of got, you know, that creepy, like, Jesus, that was creepy. What'd you have to do that for? And, uh, and then I went to bed. Uh, um, I feel the
3: next day, to, um, you know, emotionally, because, you know, you would taken the fear from you the first time and you felt really, you know, at one with the world for a little while there. Did you feel any of that?
1: No, uh-uh. no, I, right uh, back to
3: anger and shittiness.
1: <laughs> um, well, I mean not so much. I mean it's there's always a little bit of uh ponderous. I just it gets very ponderous after that. And cuz I just I think the first thing I did that morning was I came down to get a towel to get in the shower and and uh I actually went outside to look at the spot on the concrete to see if there was any you know, like disturbance of the concrete or was there a black mark or was there, was there anything, you know, like was there, was there a trail in the grass, you know, leading through the fence and down through the woods or something like that. But there wasn't. And, uh, you know, and I just sit and ponder it and go like, because I got to say after, and it's only been with this particular time that, um, that I woke up the next morning and I, I actually had to say to myself, did that did I, that really did happen. That really did happen. And then I retraced my steps, like what I did, what I was doing, you know, watching TV, answer an email, go into the kitchen, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It happened, but it was, there was a real, at least with this one and not so much with the other ones, there was this disconnect of, of, uh, like really being positive about it. But then, you know, after I retraced steps, uh, That was when I remembered that, oh, yeah, that's right, because I didn't exactly hear all of it. (laughs) And I was like, yeah, so, yeah, that's right. I'm right. And then I went on about my day. But it wasn't uh, – there wasn't that – I mean, I was downright goofy after the first time. I was really kind of – I was a little too mellowed out, I think. But – this time it that didn't that effect was was not there um, but I do get very ponderous about all of it, and one of the things that um and I'll just throw this out there because I don't know if it's true or not. it has nothing to do with anything that I've said uh about this guy but um uh when we i'm not sure if I said this on the show before, but when we had Whitley on. Mm -hmm. that I told him about this guy. And, um, and the more I think about it and the more that I, the more I visually see this thing, I tend to think Whitley might be right because, uh, Whitley, when I explained it to him, he said, well, I think you're seeing a dead man. And I've said that to you in our private discussions about this. I said that to you pretty early on that there's something not quite alive about him. And, um, I'm starting to think that that's true. And I I don't know if I don't know if dead is really I don't know if that's a good word or not. I don't know if, I I tend to I tend to get this feeling or or I get this little voice in my head that says no 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 you don't get it. He was never alive to begin with. <laughs> you know, that's kind of like what pops in my head when I think of is is it a dead man? He was never alive to begin with. Um not in the sense of that we are whatever that means.
2: Hmm.
3: Well, it might mean that, that encountering a dead person is similar in feeling to someone who was never alive.
1: Maybe, maybe. I mean,
3: maybe, they provoke the same sort of feeling.
1: It could be, it could be. Um, what I've really found weird about this is that, and we haven't really, we haven't, we haven't discussed anything in detail that I think that there's going to be anything bad that happens. But every time that, and we've said this on the show before that anytime I've really tried to get in depth about this, that I tend to get manhandled a little bit. And the last time I think I posted pictures pictures on the message board of my back that got felt like a bunch of people slapping me. And, um, that was what I woke up the next morning. That was after you and I had gotten to this really deep discussion about this whole thing. And I laid it all out. And, and obviously, you know, this is supposed to be a personal thing. And what's weird about that to me is that it's not it's not like I'm getting any answers to anything. It's not like this thing is telling me some unbelievable secret that I can't talk about. It's not it has nothing to do with that. It's all very uh generated towards my interaction with people and my interaction with the world and my perception of the world and stuff like that. And uh stuff that probably would be of little consequence to most people except me. <laughs> but um what I found weird is that hadn't really talked very much about it. And then Susan came on and then she said like, well, my experiences have changed and now it's this. And I'm like, what, what did she just say? What? (laughs) And then you tell me that you've talked to two other people who are seeing the same thing. And it's like, you know, is this what it evolves into? And Whitley, I asked him, I said, you've seen hooded things, but have you seen hooded things like this? They're very tall. You know I mean, I'm tall, and it's like you know it's taller than I am by a long shot and uh not out of the range of it's not like you know the thing has to bend down to get in the house or something, but it's you know it's a lot taller than i am and certainly that's a you know height is a component, and robes are a component of this stuff um and and I think Whitley had talked about hell on his first episode with us you know the episode one he talked about um people seeing a hooded figure uh, you know walking out to the woods from his house or walking back into the house from the woods i can't remember which but so it's a common thing that comes up but i never expected to see anything like that and
3: uh can i just say that i had in private asked peter kingsley mm-hmm. who is not a ufo guy he's a uh I don't know what you would describe. I mean, he's the only guy. I, I mean, I describe him as the only guy who "quote unquote" gets it since Krishna huh. So you know, maybe you would, he's on the level of an Eckhart Tolle. You know, it's that sort of new age guru type of guy. But I don't even want to say that because that's sort of demeaning. And uh, that that is so not to demean him, but that's the type of way to get a handle on who he is or or, or you know what he's okay. about. And in any event, you know, you talk to guys like this, and you don't know gee, do they know anything about this stuff? So I actually mustered up the balls to ask him, have you ever heard of a guy in a, you know, cloak? You know, I described your guy. Okay. And, uh, you know, his answer to me was, well, what color What color was the shroud? Oh, uh, really? You know, it's like...
1: Wow, okay. Not
3: only have I heard of him, you know, it's like, well, what color was the shroud? That's very important. It's like, so... Uh, what? I'll say no more. <laughs>
1: really? Okay. Well, say more. I mean... Go ahead, say more.
3: Well, I feel like I should save it for when we have him on, you know. Um, but well, I mean, I told you this is except you don't ever fucking actually listen to me. But uh, <laughs> we already had this true. discussion. Um. Well, he was just saying that, um, you know, navy, dark blue or navy blue, um, black to some extent, but definitely navy blue is, um, a more a color of mourning to the ancients. Okay and um that uh, you know he basically said pay attention to stuff like that because the presentation is probably just as important as whatever's being said. Hmm. Uh so I thought that was interesting. Now I guess I'll tell you see I don't know how much I want to say about this um because I don't know if I should be reporting on a private conversation with Peter Kingsley but what the hell um because I didn't put this together in my head that he was answering my question until much later. Um, He went on to talk about um, what I thought was a side tangent, but it actually, uh, I think, answers the question, which is, or at least for him, which is that he was having a conversation with a friend, and he was trying to explain to him, and he said to me, you know, I think I'm the only person in the entire country uh, who is saying this. I haven't heard anyone else saying this. Um, And I tried to explain it to my friend, and he didn't understand what I was saying. So, you know, tell me if this makes sense to you. And he said he believes that his body of work is planting seeds for the future and that uh, he doesn't want to be around. (laughs) Like, you say, duh, everyone's doing something to plant seeds for the future, right? But that's not what he means. He's saying, he said all of these new age guru type of people, whether they be flakes or serious studious people, um, they all talk about enlightenment um, as if, they, you know, that they want to be there, that they want to become enlightened and transform and and, you know, move on into that next, whatever that next phase is, right? Okay. But he said he doesn't want to. He wants to die. He wants to plant his seeds for what comes next and die and not be a part of it because he said, you know, no matter how enlightened you are, you've still got this psychology. Um, And and so that's why you can have these gurus who are, you know, really spiritual people but are psychologically shallow because no matter how, you know, again, it's, it's like you're stuck with this current incarnation of humans' psychology no matter how spiritually advanced you get. And he does not want to bring that in. That would be toxic to whatever comes next. And he doesn't want to bring that forward.
1: I see. Okay.
3: And... His friend didn't didn't get that. I said, well, that's funny you should say that because that's pretty much exactly what I've been trying to explain on our show. So you're not alone. It's me and you, babe. (laughs) Uh, Which is, you know, as people will be sick of hearing me say by now, what is the ape to the man when you talk about enlightenment? You're talking about complete transformation. You can't bring you with you when you go. So what would you look like to yourself if you were completely transformed? Well, what does an ape look like to you? That would be your real relationship. Not that you get to be some enlightened being, but that you completely transform, just as the ape completely transformed into man, or the worm transforms into the butterfly. Right. Um. You don't get to just put on wings and be the butterfly. You actually have to transform into a butterfly, therefore being completely unrecognizable. Something else. Yeah. Right. And he just said that that was perfectly stated, and he had nothing to add to that. (laughs) I thought, there it is. I've arrived. Peter Kingsley approval. (laughs) But there it is. But it is true. You know what I mean? I mean, and and it's just funny. It got me to thinking, gee, if this guy who has a huge audience can't get this through to people, what chance is there? But, um... So I find that interesting. And so, you know, if we put it back in terms of what the other person heard, you know, you're going to write this book for this person. Right. You know, is there a generation of humans coming along that that aren't us <laughs> or aren't, you know, are going to be that next thing that we are planting seeds for? I don't know. Uh. But uh, I found it an interesting answer nonetheless.
1: Yeah. Well... I'll tell you, it's weird. Um, and I, this is something that I I was talking to, uh, my mom and, and my wife about the other night. Doesn't, doesn't ever enter my mind very much, but, and I guess, I mean, how much do you really think about your life and, and, uh, and reflection on it, you know, I mean, this, this time of year, I think is the time when people generally do that. And, um, you know, my son turned 18 years old. And normally, you know, it's it's another birthday for the kid, you know, but it's 18. And then my wife uh, and I took him to get his graduation pictures taken. You know, he's got the cap and gown on, you know, and they got him holding the diploma and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> what the fuck is going on? You know? Uh, and, and my wife was brought to tears by it. And, you know, we got the pictures and she's crying about it. And I'm like, you know, it's just like, this is crazy. This is crazy that you really, I mean, I think it's like, you know, this, uh, I know that I had my son early. I mean, we got married and we had him a year later and it was like, uh, I think I was, I don't know, well, 18 years ago and I'm 43 now, so 25, 24, something like that. So we were young parents, but it's like, it just seems like it was yesterday that, you know, he was a baby, you know, I was running out at 2am to get fucking formula at 7-Eleven or something, you know, it's like we were living in this condo that we thought was like the palace of the world and, uh. You know, and here I am, you know, 18 years later and he's got a girlfriend, he's, he's driving and uh, graduating and it's like, man, it's like all of a sudden you just, I, I said, that's the way I said it to my mom. I said, you hit that milestone of your, children, your child reaching that certain age and you're like, holy shit, you know, you start to see this this bigger flow of life. Like it's not. It hasn't been about me since he was born. You know, it's like that part of me was gone. Now I became this other thing that cared more about the kid than anything else, which is the way it's supposed to be. But then when that kid reaches a certain age where you're like, wow, you know, five more years, six more years, he'd probably be on his own and me and Lisa will be here alone. You know, and it's like, what then, (laughs) you know, I really just got slapped in the face with this realization of you really are just another cog in this big wheel. And I, I guess that in my life, I'd never really experienced that so profoundly as saying, wow, this is how it's going to go. Like my parents are going to die and, and then I'm going to get old and Cody's going to grow up and he's going to have kids and then I'm going to die. And then he's going to, and it's just this, you know, this big cycle thing. And actually the night that I pondered that the most, that, you know, I mean, this is—it's—I don't know. This may seem an obvious thing to most people. It just wasn't to me. I, di- I didn't. I'm so busy in daily life. I just don't really focus on like look at my life and look at look at what's going on. I mean, you got to take time to step back and and assess and go, wow, look where I'm at. You know, and look look how old my kid is and look how old I am. And 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 the night that I focused and really pondered on that, the next night was when he was out on the back porch. I I mean, I found that to be curious, (laughs) you know, and I'm going to, I'm going to start taking note of, uh, and I wish I had the, I wish I had the discipline to actually write a journal every day, but I would really like to see like what my thoughts are or what, um, you know, what's going on in daily life when that I see this man, you know, uh, because I, I do remember that, that it was almost a heart rush type of thing where I'm like, wow, this really is like I'm in this cycle. I can't get out of this. This is, this is life. This is what's going on. You're moving on, you know? um uh, I I don't know. It's just, you, you always hear mothers say, I, I always thought he'd be my little boy forever, that sort of thing. But <laughs> it's just not true. And for listeners that got kids in college and stuff like that, or kids that have already moved out, you guys probably, you already came to this. I didn't, but it's a uh, sobering, you know, it really is. And so somehow, you know, a day later, this thing shows up on the back porch. But, uh, I mean, do you ever do that, Jared? Do you ever, do you ever look back and go, Jesus time is really, is a bitch. <laughs> I mean, do you ever really like contemplate the passage of time? yeah well I should say how do you gauge it I mean how do you gauge how it feels to you like I mean, uh, like nieces and nephews growing up or I mean like that was it for me like my kid growing up and now he's got hair on his face and shit. it's like that's mind blowing to me it's like I can't you know this probably fascinates no fucking buddy listening to this show except me but I find it amazing that I didn't see this coming <laughs> at all like one day it's just like boom oh yeah wow look at that
3: well because you're in denial because it's your kid your kid your kid and then suddenly your kid's a man yeah (laughs) and it's your denial that's catching up with you it's not that he just suddenly grew over no 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 absolutely (laughs) absolutely. opened up to the fact that oh yeah, yeah he's been growing for the last 18 years
1: right yeah i mean I don't know. For some reason, I found that just unbelievably ponderous. I was like, Christ almighty, you know, what, what is going on? And then, like I said, it wasn't a day later, boom, that, that guy's there and he's talking about something like that. And I was kind of like, hmm. And that's something that I thought about a couple of times over the past week or so. uh, How weird that was that I kind of got that scales dropped away for a minute from my eyes and i saw this like wow here's life and it's progressing and there's nothing i can do to stop it it's going to do what it's going to do and i'm just kind of along for the ride you know i'm i'm not in the driver's seat in any real capacity other than living my life as as they say time marches on 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 for whom the bell tolls
3: <laughs> is that is that what they say
1: metallica yes <laughs> So I thought that was a, a, a pretty weird, uh, pretty weird coincidence that, that that happened at that that kind of ponderous point. You know what I mean?
3: Yeah, but so I mean, how much of that do you think is you thinking it? I mean, like,
1: well, I mean, I, the thing is about about this, and and I even said this to myself after the first time I saw this guy is like, there's nothing uh, formulated or kind of contrived about it. It's, um, uh, if I could say anything about it, I mean, my mom asked me, she's like, well, how would you describe this? I mean, does it feel like it's bad? Does it feel good? Does it, you know, does it seem to be about growing like you learning something about you and your interaction with other people? And I said, the only thing I can tell you is that, um, uh, it doesn't feel contrived. It feels like it's a completely natural occurrence. It doesn't feel out of place, if that makes any sense. I mean, that's that's the feeling that I get from it, and and in fact, the being itself seems uh, of nature. And I'll, I'm just going to leave it at that because I don't want to. I don't feel like pissing anything off. But it well, feels this is the problem. Like when of nature. you just
3: said, I don't want to piss anything off. I mean, this is the thing that gets people: is those marks on your back.
1: Yeah. How yeah. can this
3: possibly be good? How is this not a demon? How is it not?
1: You know, right, so right, so right. Forth. Yeah, yeah, I know. And I what know. is
3: your answer? Is your answer to that? Well, it's because I'm thick, and that's what I need to learn. <laughs> yes. I mean, you really do believe that, right?
1: I know it's true. Yeah.
3: Okay. Well, then that's the answer.
1: Yeah. I mean, that really is it. Um, Some oh, dogs I, I, need I, their
0: noses tapped.
1: Well, I mean, yeah. You know, it's like when you're when you're told this is this is not exactly for public consumption. This is private and it's just for you and it's about you. So what's the matter to anybody else anyway, you know, to try and, you know, give it some kind of narrative, uh, is almost,
2: uh,
1: I don't know, to even talk about it feels like you're, you're trying to make some kind of cohesive sense out of it that somebody could follow and understand and, and get. And, and I don't even want to go into it that deeply. It's just other than it's really fucking amazing. You know, and it is amazing.
3: Well, I'll tell you what else those marks do. And again, I don't think that this is even meant to be. I just think it's something that I'm putting together in my head. Mm-hmm. But just coincidentally, I think that they um, offer evidence that this is really happening to you. Because these are outrageous marks on your back. Right. So you couldn't possibly have done it. So either you and your wife are hoaxing uh, me and then the world... <laughs> Right <laughs> or this really is happening. Like there are right. no two choices, you know, or the, I don't see a choice beyond that. Right, unless you got into a fight with a squirrel or no <laughs> you know, sleepwalked <laughs> your way in, into a thicket.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah,
3: and then rubbed your back against it. I don't know.
1: Well, and I've you know, and I've said this before when people have talked about about, and I don't expect anybody to take my word for anything. I've always told, and I don't believe anything past you know i believe in the mechanism there don't believe anything past your own direct experience that's that's what i believe and the one thing that i've always said is that for me uh, this whole experience with whether it be ufo's or ghosts or any kind of phenomena at all number one i think you have to be i think you have to be open to it i think that i do believe that um and it is nothing more than a belief you know Based upon what I've seen in my own lifetime and my behavior towards it, I think that for me at least, that the whole thing has been steeped in a great amount of fear. And I still fear it. I think that whatever uh, calmness relates to this experience with this man is put there by him. It's not any growth on my part, I don't think. I don't think that I've become used to it. It doesn't get easier, it's not easier it's just more fleeting or less uh less boogie uh, boogie booty. it's it's less that um certainly um and communicative which is which is good for taking your mind off just how bizarre it is but for me i would uh and i, I think people who have the experience of any of this will know what i'm saying when i say i would be too afraid to make up anything about it <laughs> I would, I would be too afraid to like make anything up, like to, I mean, and to do what anyway? I mean, it's not like we're starting a cult here. Not Uh, yet
3: anyways. Not
1: yet, but uh, that's, that's me. I, I just have always had that kind of, of, uh, because there have been times where, you know, you're given a lecture and. And you come to the end of your thing, and you're like, "Well, I don't know." And but people like demand an answer of some kind. Like, we have to know what this or what that. And you're like, you know, the th- and I'm not going to lie. I, the thought flashes through your head: Well, do I make something up just to appease them? You know, and you go, "No, no, I'm not doing that. No, you know, because that just doesn't. I mean, number one, it. It. Uh, I've always said the same thing. I think this is very important uh to." The individual. I, I believe exactly as Lee says that this is very personal. And therefore I wouldn't want to cheapen anything by uh trying to make it out to be something that's not or bigger than it is. It's already I don't think there's anything unamazing about it, but um I certainly can't give anyone like this coherent storyline like <laughs> Like this is interesting fireside chatter, you know. It's this doesn't. It's not that. And um, and as far as this goes, I'm not even comfortable talking about a lot of what what has been said or or uh, not not shown. I mean, I can't say shown, but the interaction as a whole has been more personally gauged than anything that would be interesting as far as this show goes. But yeah, that's that's been a big change this year. So. Um, So anyway, is that uh, that our show?
3: I think that's our show.
1: Damn, if that didn't fly by.
3: My goodness, see, time.
1: Yeah, we're already old.
3: (laughs) Are you old? Let me smell you. Well, Jeff, the fire is burned down and Santa's getting ready to come through that chimney. I think it's...
1: What's that noise?
3: I didn't even know I was queuing anything. That's awesome. (laughs) Another peritopia has come and and gone, and uh, so have we. I I don't know. (laughs) You wrap it. You're better at this than I am. Well, Jer. You're ridiculous.
1: I think we better get the honey and milk out and feed the elves.
3: (laughs) And the fairies.
1: Let me tell you something, folks. The only thing you're going to do if you put honey and milk out for the fairies this year is you're going to have a bunch of cats in your front lawn.
3: <laughs> yes. In well, New happy- York, holidays. we call fairies and elves uh, <laughs> mice and roaches. <laughs>
1: <Right>. <laughs> well, happy holidays to everyone. You should Jeff, do that, right?
3: Happy holidays to you.
1: Happy holidays to you, Jer, and, and, and all our listeners. Uh, have a safe and happy holiday. If you drink, don't drive. And for Christ's sakes, don't get hypnotized. (laughs) And drive. And drive.
3: (laughs) All right. We out. We'll see you next week.
1: Bye-bye.